Ahoy, hoy, hello, and welcome everybody to another edition of the Espo Show here on the Team AZV Podcast Network. That's the Arizona Varsity Podcast Network. I'm Greg Esposito, the Espo in the Espo Show, and glad to have you here today. My guest is somebody that I have admired from afar uh, on social media and in her writing. Uh, she is writes about the Cardinals for AZ Central and, and writes about pretty much anything she wants when it comes to social media. She is Catherine Fitzgerald. And, and Catherine, thank you so much uh, for taking the time here to be a part of the show. Of course. I'm so excited to be here. Uh, the second most popular fit in, in Arizona sports. Is that fair? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't think I'll ever really jump to one. So it's nice to to hit my ceiling. Well, may, maybe if you if you spend 17 years with one team and uh, and set some records, maybe maybe you can make it to number one. True, I haven't tried out for the team yet, um, <laughs> so I guess you know maybe I'm ruling myself out unfairly. Okay, so before we get into the Cardinals, which there's plenty to talk about there, but I want to I want to learn a little bit more about you and and your career. How did how did your passion for journalism start, and how did you wind up turning that passion into a career? Yeah, um, I really just always love storytelling, um, and I think kind of early on, I wasn't sure exactly what I wanted to do for a long time. I thought I wanted to be a marine biologist. Um, and so I interned at the Baltimore Aquarium, you know, as one does, realized I didn't, I love the internship, but I didn't really like learning about um, like fish and their skeletal systems and all of that biology. And, you know, it was interesting, but it wasn't something that I wanted to solely focus on. But I really loved um, talking to everyone who came through the aquarium, um, sorry, my kitten's here too. Um, through the aquarium, it's you know a destination for it's a national aquarium. People come from all over to see it, and I loved hearing their stories, telling them what I knew, and kind of like relaying everything to them. So that's when I was like, oh, maybe you should look into communications or like storytelling or something more in that realm. So. At that point, after you do that, were you already in school studying marine biology? Did you have to make a change in terms of what you were studying or was this prior to, to getting into school? Oh, that was um, the summer between my junior and senior year of high school. I was just a try hard. So. <laughs> nice. so so has the has the wit always been there? Because one of the things that that strikes me as really unique about you is you, you are not afraid to bring up uh, and, and interject humor in your stories, in your social media. I mean, an example, this was from, uh, from Monday night's, or excuse me, Sunday night's game, Cardinal Seahawks. Uh, you tweet towards the end of the game. We got to 9 PM and Cliff who gets up at like 4 AM every day was like, fuck it. It's time for bed. Now the conventional reporter isn't sending that tweet, nor are they referencing Kimmy Gibbler in their preview story for a Sunday night football game. Uh, what what has has made you feel comfortable to uh, what I assume is show your your true personality while covering teams? Yeah, it definitely took a lot longer in actual stories that go into newspapers and live on the internet versus Twitter, where I kind of usually felt a lot more comfortable there. Um, I still probably more than it comes across 
think through things and reject things, leave them in my draft, send them to friends who are like, absolutely not. Um, so <laughs> for every tweet that is like that, there's probably a lot that didn't make it to the World Wide Web. Um, but yeah, I think that's been something I've grown more comfortable in writing, um, just kind of figuring out what my voice is and how to apply that to sports. And it maybe helped covering the Cardinals where um, my first season on the beat was when they were three and 13. And, you know, I was writing stories every day and needed to find things to say, things to stand out on. Um, and maybe some of it was kind of gallows humor of also covering the sun some at that time who were also uh, kind of going through it. I think all of that helped um, kind of maybe relate to the fan base who still cares about these teams and wants to learn about them, but obviously like needs a little humor or something to keep them going. Um, so I think it's true to who I am, but it, it melded nicely um, with these teams. Did you ever get any pushback? Because I think you can probably tell I am in a similar vein of humor as you. And I remember when I started writing about a decade ago professionally and it wasn't it wasn't always well received from some of the old guard. Have you run in, into any of that where you've gotten any pushback on, on wanting to interject this humor, uh, both in social and, uh, in, and in your written pieces? Um, no, I've had some jokes that probably just weren't good and I've gotten edited <laughs> out, but I, I think I do also, I think through it a lot on my end of like time and place where there's definitely stories where it's not going to show up and, um, I think for as much as I love being funny in stories and on Twitter, I really also love a lot of um, more serious pieces and more emotional reporting when I have a chance to do that. And so um, for stories like that, obviously, it's a very different approach, but I think it's more just um, the thing that stays the same is maybe kind of trying to find creative ways to um, just like use language, transition, use sentences and um, whatnot to tell a story. So I think that's kind of the, the bigger takeaway. Maybe it's just, um, you know, always just trying to have fun with my stories, but to the appropriate mood. Have Have you had a tweet that after you hit send, you just wish you could uh, you could pull back immediately. Was there was there a moment like that where a joke maybe didn't land the way you had hoped, or or anything else kind of went off the rails? Um, never in like an inappropriate sense, as far as like, oh my gosh, I can't believe like that was <laughs> terrible. But I think more like I just embarrass myself a lot. I think I self dunk a lot. Um, anytime I tweet something and everyone just replies. Catherine, <laughs> nothing else. I'm like, did it again. Um, but I think the ones that are the most like, what exactly made you send that are the ones where it's again, like self-deprecating. So hey, they, when I, I love the kind of tweets that that get the reaction, like the Catherine or when somebody's like, oh, ask Bo, because that means I was, I was truly 100% myself and, and they know me well enough to, to respond in that manner. So, so it makes yeah. me feel good. <laughs> That's when my power grows strongest when <laughs> you click the replies and it's just everyone being like, Catherine, oh. uh, with uh, on the serious side, though, what has been your favorite story on that side of things that, that you've gotten the opportunity to cover uh, and, and you felt that you had the impact that you really hoped you'd be able to get from a piece? 
Um, I mean, our recent example, I really loved getting to know DeAndre Hopkins more. So um, getting to write about what he's doing this season with um, his helmet tribute for Denmark, BC, for everything he does to have all these nods to different um, times in history and what we're still seeing today with systemic racism, um, especially with a player who, you know, everyone knows so much about Hopkins on the field and everything. And we know a lot about him off the field, but I think in Arizona, just like as we see what he's going to be with the Cardinals, with the future of this franchise, getting to know everything he cares about off the field um, has been really interesting, especially, you know, trying to get to know a player in the zoom era um, has been challenging, but that was a story that I was really um, felt good about. And then, over the years, um, getting to write more about the Arizona Hotshots, um, the football team and the AAF and why they chose their name. Um, I think that was one that I was really proud of too, just in getting to talk to the families, getting to hear their side um, of why they thought this was really interesting to have, um, you know, their sons kind of memorialized in a professional sports team. It's different than most team names I've ever seen, certainly. Um, and so I just, I wanted to learn from them. And I think anytime I get to learn from the people I interview, that's when I get, um, really excited. Yeah, and that was actually, uh, I, the first piece I remember, uh, distinctly of yours here okay. uh, in the Valley and, and was very moved and impressed by it because you do have that and you brought it up, uh, that rare ability to, to be sarcastic, to be funny, to have those references, but also to dig deep uh, and have those pieces that really pull emotionally as well. So uh, you should be, not that I need to tell you this, I sound like <laughs> the old guy, but it's something to, to be proud of because there's not a lot of people that can can do both of those things uh, as well as you can can shift gears with with that. So uh, in, in terms of your career, uh, you, you came here to Arizona originally to cover high school, high school sports, if I'm correct. How did the transition from, from high school sports to then being one of the main writers for an NFL team in a major city happen for you? Yeah. So it was kind of a mix when I started, um, officially the role was called social mobile sports reporter, which is kind of, um, just journalism buzzwords. But so it was a, a hybrid role where some of it was doing, um, high school sports. I would say that was about a third of it. Another third then was kind of um, doing any of these trending stories that would pop up. Um, so I, my first weekend on the job actually was waste management. Um, so plenty of opportunities there of just like, you know, here's what people are talking about. Here's what they're seeing. Here's a naked man on the 13th. Let's find out more about him. Um, but also, you know, kind of some of those more funny stories that had to do with Arizona sports. Um, even if they were just kind of more quick hits, like, oh, this is happening right now and people are talking about it. Um, and then the last third of the job was um, kind of helping out on any of the pro beats. Um, you know, we sometimes rotate in to have two people at any D-backs home game, um, would have extra people at training camp. So either backing up or helping on the other pro beats and maybe doing some project-based stuff there. Um, so that's how I kind of started to get my feet wet on the pro beats here. Um, it was really bouncing around a lot for the first few months, but um, as it happens in the journalism industry, we just had some turnover on our staff and all of a sudden there were 
a few openings around the desk and a shortage of people to cover the Cardinals. So there I was. Um, it just kind of happened. All of a sudden, my schedule was training camp every day. Um, so, you know, not the most uh, standard, like, oh, I applied here and then I did this and then I stepped up. It was just kind of really a right place, right time thing. But um, I love football. So uh, it worked out really wonderfully there. Well, that, that honestly is sometimes the best way that things happen is when they just kind of happen, happen naturally like that. Uh, long-term, uh, do you, is covering a team, what you love is, is having a column at some point, uh, what you want. I'm always fascinated from, from this perspective with a writer of, of where they, they want to progress because, uh, you know, you're, you're early in your career, but you already have, uh, the opportunity to cover an NFL team. What's, what's the hope moving forward? Yeah, that's a, a scary, terrifying question. Um, <laughs> I, right now I really enjoy covering a team, um, what I, the stories I love to do the most are kind of those deeper, more enterprise stories that um, anytime I can spend more time, call more people, interview more people, um, and really flesh out a story more, that's what I love. And I would enjoy getting to do more, more project-based reporting like that. But I, what I do like about covering a team is um, kind of gathering stuff over time to lead to some of those stories. I had a lot of fun on a Dennis Gardeck profile back in January, I think, where um, like I had one longer interview with him, but most of it was just like being around the team from time to time, seeing these little moments and then going back and weaving them all into one story. Um, so I don't know how to totally answer your question <laughs> right now. I like covering a team, but finding ways to always tell those um, bigger feature stories during it is what I always try to do. Uh, love it. Uh, let's shift to the Cardinals, uh, yeah. the the beat that you were on. What yeah. do you what do you make of this team? Because early, you know, they're the darling after starting two and zero. They they have the misstep, and now and now they've won two in a row uh, on national television. For somebody that's around this team uh, as much as you are, well, virtually right now. Yeah. What uh, what is your read on this club? Yeah, I, I think they're weird. Um, <laughs> you know it. <laughs> Like you said, they've kind of already had a bunch of those storylines of like, oh my gosh, they're here. They beat the 49ers. They're undefeated. And then like, ah, they lost to the Lions and Panthers. Like, here we go again. Um, but then, I mean, Sunday's win over Seattle, especially, it was bizarre. It was fun. I think they're still um, figuring some things out on the field. And that's what makes it really exciting. But for me, the biggest thing is just like, Man, my first year on the beat, some of those games were just, they were so hard to watch. And like, you know, that I am not coming from it from the perspective of a fan as far as like, oh, they're losing and my heart's broken. But it was more just like, oh my gosh, like this isn't football. I'm I'm not sure what's really going on here. Um, and then last year you started to see things come together a bit more towards the end of the season. Um, you know, I like trick plays. I like weird stuff on the field. So um, creativity in an offense is fun to watch when it happens, but, um, yeah, I think they still are kind of finding out ways to mesh a bit more together. Um, so it's going to be fun to watch and especially in the NFC West, it's, I really enjoy the division.
Oh, I mean, it, it, it beats watching the NFC East. That's for sure. Uh, yeah. when you, I mean, it, th- there's so many great teams in this NFC West. And to your point that this Cardinals team seems to try to uh, trying to learn about themselves as they're playing, uh, playing these games and trying to figure out, you know, what, what actually works with this personnel and what doesn't. And how much of that do you attribute to the fact that they didn't have a preseason uh, this year? And, and even uh, some of DeAndre Hopkins not being able to even practice because of, uh, of different injuries that have come up. Uh, Is that, do you think those things are factoring into the fact that we haven't quite figured out who this team really is? Oh, totally. And that was my big question on the defense, especially going into this season of, you know, I think they did a really strong job of bolstering their defense um, during the offseason. Obviously, Hopkins was the really splashy move, but between the draft, the free agency, just um, bringing in all these new guys for the defense who weren't even going to be on the field together until August. Um, And obviously, you know, the defense has been such a hindrance for them um, over some of the recent seasons that like, how do you come together as a team this quickly? Um, I remember Devon Kennard was saying one time of how like he was so excited even just to get to Zoom meetings with guys because he hadn't heard the voices of his teammates yet. And he's, you know, obviously like communication on the field with people who you've never heard their voices. I thought that was just such an interesting tidbit of all the things we don't think about as far as, um, you know, everyday stuff on practice on game day, that's been different this year. Um, or especially with the off season, um, not allowing that to happen until so late in the game. Um, and I think on offense too, yeah, you know, Kyler is really fun to watch, but he's still in his second year. There's still a few things that I think he's learning and going through and with new teammates. So, um, Definitely a big factor that the offseason was different, as it is for every team, but especially when there were so many new or young faces on this Cardinals roster. You bring up Kyler Murray, and and we've all watched it. I mean, year one, he was impressive. Obviously, the offensive rookie of the year, but things to work on. Year two, he he started to take uh, that, that proverbial leap. But when you talk to teammates, are they as impressed as people like ourselves that that are watching from afar uh, with him and what is his teammates uh, analysis and kind of take on him been so far? Yeah, I think they all realize that he's just really fun to watch. Um, Kennard again was talking about uh, who was it against against Washington when he had um, that hesitation step going into the end zone and just seeing like, what he does, the way he's able to get around the field. Um, Even Sunday night, you know, when he's like smiling as he throws it to DeAndre Hopkins, Um, just little things like that. I think on top of everything he's doing statistically and to get these teams some, or this team some wins, um, those small moments. Yeah. Guys love to rewatch that. You know, you saw that um, the viral clip from, um, the team of Kyler on that run where he almost like floats in midair um, as a Washington player just like crumbles to the ground basically. Um, and I think that stuff still kind of leaves guys in all. A lot was made of uh, last week, kind of the, 
I, I don't like the like the word, but people were using it as some perceived tension be, between DeAndre Hopkins and Kyler Murray. Uh, I didn't buy into it, but you're obviously much closer to this group than I am. What was your read on, on that? Was it just a case of uh, the internet making more out of something than than they really should have? Yeah, I think professional athletes want to win and are really competitive. And so sometimes that even flares up at teammates in a way that, yeah, I, I feel it was a little, I don't know if overblown is the right word, but I don't think it's anything to worry about. Um, pretty much everyone has been like, actually, yeah, we, we like when our star players who are very competitive continue to be competitive and push each other to be better. So that's kind of how I see it. Um, I think it was Hopkins who had quipped that like he had never had a, a quarterback yell at him until Murray, which is funny given Murray's general demeanor. And I think it's kind of one of those things of like, oh, if he's like getting mad, then this is serious, you know, or like, um, I don't know. I think about like teachers I had growing up where if they're always yelling or if they're always like in your face, quiet down, then you're just like, all right, whatever. But if it's someone like who's never mad and all of a sudden they're like, sit down, you're like, Okay. Um, so, and I don't think that's an exact equivalent to pro football players, but um, I don't think it's anything worrisome. My dad was the master of that. He was an, a quiet accountant. And if he ever raised his voice like that, you knew, you knew something was serious. So I, I yeah. totally understand where you're coming from with that. It's like uh, when they whip out the middle name and you're like, Oh, thanks. That's my, my birth name. I'm in trouble. I always loved when I got my my brother's name on accident during that as well. A nice little break in the tension. But uh, bizarre story. Did you ever imagine that you would be covering uh, a star player flipping off traffic on the way to a game? Like it, with this DeAndre Hopkins story, just strikes me as so bizarre. Every level of it. And, and but as somebody that's covering a team, what is that? What was that whole situation like and have you had anything bizarre like that before that you've had to cover oh i mean i feel like there's so many weird things that happen in sports that i don't i can't even think of probably like this is the weirdest overlap i've ever had um it's interesting because i always tell um my students the class i teach at asu like you have to be ready to cover anything like things will pop up on your beat all the time and then it got especially real for me this year when um, during the pandemic, I was switched to features for a bit. So it was covering like restaurants and things like that. So I think journalism in general, you're just kind of always like, okay, this could, you know, if a story pops up, it's news. Um, I thought, yeah, it wasn't what I was expecting um, heading to the stadium Sunday night. I actually was caught in some of the same traffic and um, hadn't, seen that on a Sunday before um, due to two things. One, the Cardinals games usually being earlier and me not leaving my house much during a pandemic. Um, so I hadn't run into the traffic before and I was personally just confused of like what's happening, what's going on. And so then to to find out that part of it, um, yeah, it was, it was interesting. He uh, explained a bit today on, or maybe yesterday, no, I went up today on a podcast with Patrick Peterson um, that uh, he was really trying to to give the peace sign, but one of his fingers got stuck. So um, I, I like to just refer to them. 
I just like to refer to them as the double bird gang now, uh, thanks to uh, thanks to DeAndre Hopkins and, and his driving uh, antics over the weekend. But uh, yeah. when, what uh, we'll wrap it up with this. What what has been uh, the most surprising thing, uh, whether it's uh, in in covering this team or watching them this season with the Cardinals, something that in 2020 uh, as weird as things have been that, that you just didn't expect from this team. Oh man. I mean, I feel like everything's so weird at this point that it's hard to really isolate anything as like this stood out as particularly weird. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. That's a tough one. I think again, I like when stories um, lead me to, okay, maybe this one. I, um, I was gonna say I like when stories lead me to learn a little bit more. And so sometimes when I'm doing features, I'll do more research on something that wouldn't, like it's never gonna come up in another football story. But um, I ended up doing for the season preview, a story on all of the Cardinals playing video games together all off season. Um, but part of that started actually from back in January. Um, so like pre pandemic and everything, um, Kyler Murray was streaming himself playing Fortnite with, um, two professional video game players and someone else in the NFL. He's played with a bunch of guys. So I forget who this specific um, day was, but so I watched Kyler Murray via my computer play video games for like an hour and a half. Um, and part of it was genuinely because I'm still getting to know him and he's quiet. And I was like, Oh, maybe I'll learn more about him through this. And instead I think he spoke like 10 times in the hour that I watched and they were, it was kind of like funny quips, but it wasn't anything like, um, you know, it was like trash talking other guys or <laughs> at one point he was embarrassed that he wasn't playing as well as professional video game players. So um, again, that competitive spirit, but yeah, it was just kind of like, all right, here's my job as an NFL beat reporter. I'm going to sit down and watch through my computer, someone play video games for an hour and a half. So um yeah, my screen time's not good. I got like glasses in March, so I'm not uh, wearing them now, but I have them. Well, I, I lied. I do have one more. You, you talk about, uh, you've mentioned numerous times how much you enjoy writing features, getting in depth, uh, doing that kind of thing. If you could interview any athlete and do a, uh, do a feature profile, past or present, who would be the person that you would love to sit down and really get to know and encapsulate who they are? Oh, that's also really hard and intimidating. Um, I think both from loving the Olympics growing up and being from around the same part of Maryland, I was always a big Michael Phelps fan. Um, and I think, you know, it's been amazing to see everything he's done as an athlete, but now also being so outspoken about mental health. Um, I find that to be so important. Um, and he's here in Arizona too. So lots of overlap there. Um, minus our daily exercise routines. Um, but I think that journey in so many ways, like, um, when he was in high school and already really good, I remember hearing, like who he was in Maryland back then. And then obviously to set like every single record in the Olympics um, is no small feat. But I think anytime athletes kind of use their platform to talk about other topics too, that always stands out to me. 
Oh, Catherine, I, I really do appreciate the time. I know how busy you are, even during a bye week. I know there's always <laughs> something uh, something to cover and something comes up. So thank you Not so much. Not with the slow one. <laughs> do you, can you let the listeners know where they can find you on social media, how they can find the latest from you on the Cardinals? Yes, I am so extremely online. Um, on Twitter, it's at kfits134, um, which was a screen name that I had at one point not my first screen name, um, but that's where you can find my tweets. And then um, azcentral.com for the Arizona Republic, where I write all about the Cardinals. She is Catherine Fitzgerald. Check her out at azcentralsports.com and on Twitter. I'm Greg Esposito, and we'll be right back with more of the Espo Show. Hey, welcome back into the show. It's time for, and I always, I always joke about this, my favorite time of the show, and I, I always enjoy our interview, but this is my chance to kind of open up the, the barn doors that are my mind and, and spill out the hay that is the craziness uh, that I think about things in the segment that we like to call all by myself. Uh, this week in All By Myself, uh, I'm going to share what I think is a fairly controversial opinion. I'm, I'm just going to admit it. It's it's not something that I think many of you will agree with. Uh, I think many of you will probably take issue with it, especially if you are not exactly an Arizona Cardinal fan uh, listening and and may have uh, your your fandom uh, lie elsewhere. So I think let's just get into it. I'm just going to say it. it. It starts for me with Larry Fitzgerald and his pursuit uh, of greatness in his career. All right. Uh, earlier this, this year, this season, he became the player with the most receptions in a single uh, stadium. Uh, at State Farm Stadium, he surpassed Jerry Rice and, and his record at Candlestick. Uh, he became only the second receiver in NFL history with 1,400 receptions in his career, uh, second only to Jerry Rice. He's, he's second only in yards. Uh, he basically, when you look at the statistics, uh, Larry Fitzgerald is second only to Jerry Rice in terms of where he ranks in the greatest receivers of all time, just looking at the, at the bare statistics. But I think the statistics don't tell the, the story. I think Larry Fitzgerald is actually the best receiver in the history of the NFL. And this is not a Homer take. This is what I, I genuinely believe. He is the best receiver in NFL history. And let me read you, and tell you the reasons why here. Josh McCown, Sean King, John Navarre, Matt Leinert, Tim Rattay, Brian St. Pierre, Derek Anderson, Max Hall, John Skelton, Rich Bartell, Kevin Cobb, Ryan Lindley, Brian Hoyer, Drew Stanton, Blaine Gabbert, Sam Bradford, Josh Rosen, Mike Glennon. 
Those are the quarterbacks that Larry Fitzgerald had throwing to him throughout his career. Now, there's three names I did not mention on the list. Kurt Warner, Carson Palmer, Kyler Murray. Those are the three actual NFL caliber quarterbacks that Larry Fitzgerald has had throwing to him. Uh, Kyler Murray only for a year. Carson Palmer uh, was for a handful. I believe it was four years that Carson Palmer threw to to him and Kurt Warner around the same amount of time of four years there as well. And those guys, you can't argue that they're NFL caliber quarterbacks. Those three guys uh, have what it takes to, to play the position in the NFL. But every other name that I mentioned on that list, every single last one of them had no business playing as a quarterback in the NFL, throwing to an all-time great receiver. And that's what makes what Larry Fitzgerald has been able to do so impressive, right? When you think about who he has had throwing him the ball since he first stepped on the field at Sun Devil Stadium in 2004 when he started this illustrious career, the Cardinals have marched out has-beens, never was, and guys that probably shouldn't have even started a game in the CFL to throw him the ball. And despite that, he has the second longest reception streak in the history of the game. He ranks second in yardage. Uh, He ranks second in receptions. When you look at this, it's amazing that he's even in the top 10 with guys like that throwing to him. And it's not like he didn't have quality receivers around him. Uh, you know, for a, for a long stretch at the beginning, it Anquan Bolden, uh, obviously DeAndre Hopkins. Now there were a few, some light years uh, in there, but you know, it's Steve Breston. There there were quality guys near him as well. So this wasn't just a bad guy or a good good guy on a bad team uh, kind of situation. And he had the John Skeltons of the world throwing to him. He had the Rich Bartels of the world throwing to him. He had the Max Halls of the world throwing to him. And yet somehow he is second to Jerry Rice in these statistical categories. And when you consider who Jerry Rice had throwing him the ball, Joe Montana, Steve Young, Rich Gannon, Matt Hasselbeck, Those are the primary guys that threw him the ball in his career. We're talking about Hall of Famers, Pro Bowlers. All of them started in a Super Bowl. Multiple MVPs there. Even Gannon was an MVP. He had quality guys targeting him, getting the ball. Guys that you knew you could rely on to throw a good pass, to put you in a situation uh, to to play well. And and when you think about how many meaningless games Larry Fitzgerald uh, was in and playing with these kind of quarterbacks throughout the years, it's unbelievable what he's been able to accomplish in his career. And the other thing is the intangibles, right? Great leader. Has been the face of the franchise for pretty much the entirety of his career in Arizona. Uh, stand-up guy in the community. Uh, the the impact, even as his his skills may have have waned, 
the impact he has had on the field is undeniable, even in the season where he isn't the primary guy, obviously. He's not even really the secondary guy behind uh, DeAndre Hopkins and Christian Kirk is, ha- has emerged. He's not even really the secondary guy on this team, and yet he does the little things. Uh, San Francisco, first game of the year, right before halftime. Clock's running running down. They're trying to get a field goal. He, he One of his teammates makes a catch. He gets the picks the ball, rips it out of the defender's hands, runs it back uh, to the line of scrimmage to make sure that they can spike the ball in time. In the game against the Seattle Seahawks at, at State Farm Stadium, late in the game, same kind of situation, does the same thing. That's that's the little things. He's heady with it. He's never been a showboater either. And when when he was asked to change the receiver position he played, you know what he did? He learned how to play another position. And he became just as good of a player there. Blocking, he became a great blocker. Larry Fitzgerald has done all the little things. And that's not to say that Jerry Rice didn't. It's not to diminish what Jerry Rice did in his career. But when you look at the list of guys that threw the ball to Larry Fitzgerald, it puts his career in a completely different perspective. And I don't think people outside of Arizona and even some people inside Arizona who weren't Cardinals fans before their Super Bowl run could truly appreciate how ridiculous the quarterback position has been for a majority of, of Fitz's time in the Valley. Think about it. The Arizona Rattlers had a better quarterback play in Larry Fitzgerald's uh, time here. Uh, you know, Cedric Bonner was, was a better quarterback than half the guys that, that Larry Fitzgerald was catching passes from. It's just, to me, that makes him, the best receiver ever because what he was able to accomplish was so very little helping him in the form of the guy throwing the ball. When, when you look at Jerry Rice and he's got Joe Montana, Steve Young, Rich Gannon, Matt Hasselback, or Hasselback, excuse me, uh, as the guys throwing him the ball for the primary, uh, um, the majority of his career, he didn't have to go through the hardship that Larry Fitzgerald went through. I mean, he was winning. He was playing with uh, unbelievable talent. Larry Fitzgerald uh, had to slog through so many bad quarterbacks, so many bad games, so many bad seasons, has stuck it out in Arizona, and has done everything that you could ever ask of a guy of his caliber. That's why, in my mind, Larry Fitzgerald is the best receiver of all time in the NFL. Special thanks to my guest, Catherine Fitzgerald, from the Arizona Republic and AZ Central Sports. Uh, She covers the Cardinals for them uh, for being my guest today. Please check her out, uh, read her stuff on on AZ Central, uh, and make sure to give her a follow on Twitter. Quality writer, one of my favorite uh, to interact with in terms of sports on social media. So for Catherine Fitzgerald, I'm Greg Esposito, the Espo and the Espo Show. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you next time.